In Psalm 18, I want to just deliver this little devotional. I shared this with the missions board Tuesday night, not knowing how it fit into the message today. So in Psalm 18, the first three verses read like this. I love you, O Lord, my strength. The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer, my God, my rock in whom I take refuge, my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. I call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised and I am saved from my enemies. Two things. One is there is truth all through these verses. The truth is of who God is. He is the rock. He is the fortress. Every word in there that is being ascribed to God is true of who he is. That's one thing, and that's very important. But David, the psalmist, is saying he's not only the rock and fortress and so forth, he's my. He makes it personal. There are 13 personal pronouns in here. I and my, 13 of them. He is staking his flag in God. This is my God. I love my God. He is my fortress, my deliverer, my salvation. He made a choice on how he was going to live his life. He made a choice upon the found, what the foundation of his whole belief system would be. And we call that worldview. David's worldview was God-centric. It was a biblical worldview. This is very important for the text that we are going to be studying today, this idea of a worldview on how we f- view the world A worldview is a framework from which we view reality and make sense of life and the world. Questions such as, why are we here? What is truth? How should we live? How did we get here? Are questions that we ask that help us to understand what our worldview is. A biblical worldview says, this book is the word of God and it's infallible. This is the authority by which I will stake my life. And I will live my life according to this book because I believe that it is God's word. And he is sovereign God, he is all authority, he's the creator of the universe and all that we understand who God is and all that this book says about who God is. That's a worldview. And it's really important. It's really important, critical. Our passage today addresses our worldview as we face hostility and maybe even suffering. When we go through trying things, when we face a frustrating situation, our worldview will determine how we respond in those times. So, Let's now turn over to 1 Peter, chapter 3, where we are continuing our study of 1 Peter. Pastor Aaron has been leading us through the study and uh, needed a break today, and so here we go. We're going to do this now. All right. 1 Peter, chapter 3, starting with verse 13, and we're going to read on into chapter 4 a little bit. So follow along if you would. Now, who is there to harm you? 
if you are zealous for what is good. But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled, but in your hearts honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for the reason, a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect, having a good conscience so that when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. For it is better to suffer for doing good, if that should be God's will, than for doing evil. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit, in which he went and proclaimed to the spirits in prison, because they formerly did not obey, when God's patience waited in the days of Noah, while the ark was being prepared, in which a few, that is, eight persons, were brought safely through water. Baptism, which corresponds to this, now saves you, not as a removal of dirt from the body, but as an appeal to God for a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God with angels and authorities and powers having been subjected to him. Since, therefore, Christ suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves with the same way of thinking. For whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin, so as to live for the rest of the time in the flesh, no longer for human passions, but for the will of God. For the time that is past suffices for doing what the Gentiles want to do, living in sensuality, passions, drunkenness, orgies, drinking parties, and lawless idolatry. With respect to this, they are surprised when you do not join them in the same flood of debauchery, and they malign you, but they will give account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. For this is why the gospel was preached even to those who are dead, that though judged in the flesh the way people are, they might live in the spirit the way God does. Amen. Oh boy, that's a mouthful right there. It's all kinds of stuff. And so how are we going to handle that? Here's how we're going to handle it. We're going to just start by talking about a hostile world and suffering. Let's talk about that first. Let's get that stuff out of the way. Because to be honest with you, that's not the main point of this, this passage. As we live in a world that is increasingly hostile to God and his way, that hostility is not the main point of this passage. However, we want to talk about it for a moment. It's important because we encounter it. Perhaps as we talk about suffering and we talk about hostility, probably at the very lightest level that we face it sometimes, and we do, is inconvenience. When I'm inconvenienced, it feels like I'm suffering sometimes. (laughs) We won't dig into that. We are talking about suffering for righteousness' sake. However, in our world today, and this is not only here in, in, in PA or on the peninsula, the U.S., it's around the world in many and most places, hostility and suffering are not the norm. Most people on the planet respect those that do good. They actually respect that. The passage is saying that. Peter is saying that. Do good. 
People will be shamed if they attack you for being good. Be good. People will respect you for that. That is the norm for the most part. However, because this is written and because we know the reality of what's going on around the world and even in our own world at times, there is persecution. There is suffering for righteousness' sake. Standing up for the right thing. Not doing the wrong thing, just doing the right thing. And I'm gonna speak to you young people. Perhaps you face this more than the rest of us. As you mix it up at school, with your peers in sports, wherever it is with peers, if you do something different from your friends, you stand out. We don't wanna stand out. It's just noticed And I know you wish, I wish it weren't noticed. I just want to do the right thing. And I wish people wouldn't pay attention. But sometimes they do. And that's a form of persecution. That is a form of suffering. That is a form of hostility at times. Just standing up for the right thing. Who are our enemies? Who are those that would deliver any hostility to us for doing the right thing? The Word of God tells us clearly three, at least three arenas, and there are more, at least three arenas that are against us. The first one is our own flesh, our own stinking flesh, because our flesh is egotistical as it comes. Our flesh is all about me. I want to defend myself, I want to make sure that people understand my motives are right, or whatever it may be, it's a rather insidious thing that we have going on, and our flesh wars against our spirit. But Christ conquered all that. He dealt with it. When he died, we were forgiven for our sins, so the flesh has no power there. When he was resurrected, his power over death... We have every, every reason. We are more than conquerors. We are victorious even over our own flesh because of what Christ has done. The world increasingly is against God and everything he stands for and his way. It's against us. Satan is certainly against us. Satan wants to take everybody with him. And he certainly is against us. In verse 16, the word slander, you are slandered at times. Your reputation is tarnished because somebody said something. And sometimes only an accusation is enough, right? To tarnish, somebody said this about you. And now you have, feel like you've got to defend it. That can be a form of hostility and suffering, no doubt. You will be slandered. In verse 16, it also says, those who revile your good behavior. How in the world is that true? They revile your good behavior. You're just simply doing the right thing. And I'm telling you all, I don't need to tell you this, but I'm going to just say it because we all know increasingly it's becoming out there more and more illogical. People are being accused of things and it makes zero sense. And I think social media is a big part of this because people can say whatever they want to say. There is zero accountability. And if you want to get at somebody, all you do is publish something on there, no accountability, and it's out. And people go, oh, really? And so forth. You all know what I'm talking about. It exists. 
And it can be a form of hostility. And why is that? In these verses, in um, chapter 4, 3 and 4, where it outlines these things. For the time that is past suffices for doing what the Gentiles wanted to do, living in sensuality. These things are true of now. They're rampant all around us. It's not biblical times. This is happening right now all around us, this stuff. And you high schoolers and junior highers, middle schoolers, I know, I'm hearing stuff, a stuff going on at school and at social events at school that are just dropping. And it's this stuff right here. Living in sensuality, passions, drunkenness, orgies, drinking parties, lawless idolatry. And you could all add to the list of the stuff that is going on that is counter to God's way. And it's all around you and your friends are doing it. And they're inviting you to participate in those things. And for you as a Christ follower, you're going, no, God doesn't want me doing that. That is not pleasing to God. I want to live my life because of my worldview that is biblically based on Christ. I want to follow him. And it's counter to those actions, those behaviors, those attitudes, those words, whatever they may be. And so when you refuse to engage and join in, you stand out. And then what happens? Why can't you just be free to do what is right? (laughs) Right? Why can't you just be free? Leave me alone. I want to do the right thing. I think because you are a conviction. That's why. Because people know deep, and the Lord has given us a conscience, and they know the difference between right and wrong. And when you stand up for the right thing, it's a conviction to them. Yeah, I should be doing the same thing. And then you know how it goes. Because they feel so bad, they may then ridicule. They'll lash out whatever that may look like. They bring about peer pressure. They say, why do you have to be different? Why can't you be like us? It's in those moments that Peter may be talking about. That's a hostile world. And we are called to stand up and do the right thing. I think in in the writing of this passage, Peter wants us to be prepared for when it comes. It may not be happening right now, or it may be happening and it's going to get worse. And we all know it's going to get worse. It's coming as things are going in our world today. I read this, uh, somebody wrote this little piece. While I was visiting the Russian Far East, I had a conversation with my friend Lena that I will not soon forget. She is an excellent student and works at a Christian radio station in Magadan. Since becoming a believer in Christ in 1994, she has enjoyed remarkable spiritual growth. Like most Russians, Lena has much hope, but she is also realistic about what could happen in her changing land. As we talked about the future of her country, she looked at me in the eye and said with unsettling candor, I am preparing myself for persecution. I am preparing myself for persecution. 
And I think that's what this passage is about, preparing us for persecution. Peter wants us to be prepared when trouble comes, when we face the heat. Maybe it's a physical threat. Maybe it's an emotional threat. Maybe it's ridicule. It's especially difficult when it's your friends. Sometimes it's fellow believers even who are engaging something that really is ungodly and they want you to be a part of that and you say, no, I'm not gonna do that. And on comes the tension. From this passage... I've extracted eight exhortations on being prepared for persecution. Eight exhortations. All right, here we go. Number one, in verse, uh, chapter three of 21, talks about this baptism. I would say this in simple form. Number one, be saved. Be saved. Put your trust in Jesus. Place your faith in what Jesus has done for you on the cross. What a wonderful starting place. Be saved. When it talks about baptism, it's talking about, yeah, baptism saves. It's talking about the inward working that is taking place in baptism. It talks about, yeah, we can dunk somebody in water and it might clean them off on the outside, but it's merely an exterior symbol of true faith in Jesus Christ. Be saved. That leads to a clear conscience. A clear conscience is really important. In verse 16, Peter says, have a good or a clear conscience. A clear conscience really is being right with God, being a right relationship with him, being made right with him. It only comes through faith in Jesus. A clear conscience, as you know, means I haven't done anything wrong. I'm not guilty. When we talked a number of weeks ago about justification and sanctification, we talked about how because of the blood of Jesus and our faith in him taking our place on the cross, he died in our place. When we place that, our trust in him for what he has done, the Father declares us not guilty. We have a clear conscience. Number three, Zealous for what is good. This is in uh, verse 13. Zealous for what is good. Zeal means to be filled with or controlled by eagerness and ardent interest in pursuit of something. I just cracked me up while we're singing this morning, watching the little kids. They're just bubbling and moving and they just cannot wait for the trigger to go to children's church. They are eager Shannon, when you brought the kids up here, they thought it was time to go to children's church. That's what was going on because it could not wait. I think of a dog who's at home and the owner has just come and the dog can hear the car and knows the owner. Maybe there's a window by the door and they can see out there and the, the, the dog is going nuts. Tail wagging, it's quivering, it's maybe even whimpering, making noises because they're coming. Or they see a squirrel. This is zeal. This is zeal for doing good. Good means intrinsically good, inherently good in quality, but the idea of good which is also profitable, useful, benefiting others, benevolent. In God's 
kingdom that we are in as he is building his kingdom, it's about, Lord, what do you have for me to do? You've prepared works for me in advance. I'm ready to roll. What do you have, Lord? I want to serve you. I want to seek you. I want my life to count for you this day. Even the rest of this day on this Sunday. Lord, how do you want to use me? I am ready. I'm going to be looking for ways to encourage others. I'm eager, I am zealous, Lord, for doing your work for your glory because you have invited me to be a part of what you are doing. Number four, have no fear or be troubled. Have no fear or don't be troubled. This is in in 14. This word means, this fear that it's talking about, this trouble that it's talking about means stirred up, disturbed, upset, thrown into confusion, but at a very deep level. Your world is rocked. Peter says, don't be there. Don't be in a place where you are so freaked out by the hostility that you are facing because I already know all about it. Well, how do I deal with that? Well, it says right after that. And this is point five in verse 15. In your heart, honor Christ the Lord as holy. This is how you not be rocked by the hostility that you face. Honor Christ the Lord as holy. Perhaps this is the central theme of this whole passage. Honor Christ as holy in your heart. Guard your heart with due diligence. Guard your heart with everything you've got. For out of it flows the issues of life. For out of it comes everything in your life. So, in the wellspring of your heart, honor Christ as holy. Put him in his proper place in your worldview. That he is holy God. That he is redeeming mankind. And you, he's called to be a part of that. Set apart Christ as holy in your hearts. Sanctify the Lord God in your hearts. Worship Christ as Lord of your life. Be completely devoted to Christ in your hearts. Matthew 10, 28 says, and do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Don't worry about those people that might hurt you physically. No, fear him who can deal with them. His call on your life, his mission and purposes, these are what he's called you to. Turn your eyes upon Jesus, look full in his wonderful face, and the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. This is what we are called to live like. Complete laser focus on Jesus every moment of every day. Number six, be prepared to give a reason for the hope that is in you. 15, a well-known verse, a, a great verse. IBC family, do you have hope? Do you have hope? Well, let me ask you a question since there's not a lot of response because you think it's rhetorical. What is the hope that you have in you? Do you want to tell us? Share it out loud right now. What is the hope that you have in you? Glory. Glory. Faith. Faith. 
Jesus, everlasting life. Amen. And we could do this all the rest of the day, couldn't we? Boy, I tell you, um, yeah. Okay, move on. That is the hope that you have in you. Be ready to share about that hope. Why do you have that hope? We're called to do that. People may ask, why are you at peace? How can you be so calm when everything is going crazy around us? Why are you happy in the midst of so much anxiety? Everybody's freaked out, but you're calm. What is up with that? How do you do that? Because Jesus, he has promised a hope and a future. He, we are saved by the blood that he shed in our place. I know that I'll be with him forever when I check out of this life. I know that he knows who I am. He loves me. He wants to use me on his mission. There's nothing better. Because of his grace, I am his workmanship in Christ, and he has tasks for me to do that he's prepared for me to do in advance. He's even now preparing a place for me. I will see those whom I love who have gone on before me. We got to celebrate Burt MacArthur's graduation to glory yesterday in here. And John MacArthur, 93, right, John? Next month. Uh uh. At your age, next month is as good as now, my brother. Okay, 93 it is. <laughs> John will testify, you know, despite the grief, because it's hard. The grief is real, the sadness, there's a hope, there's a joy. Even John goes, it won't be long. Okay, John, we want you around as long as God has you, so don't be wishing, but I get it. I get it. You never know. You just never know. But we have great hope that those who have gone before us, we're going to be reunited. We're going to be in the presence of Jesus himself. What great hope that we have. Number seven, Speak with gentleness and respect, verse 15 of chapter 3. Speak with gentleness and respect. Your answer about the hope that you have in you is about Jesus. You will be speaking about Jesus. You will be speaking about Christ in your life. You don't have to defend God. He's got that. Sometimes we think we have to take up his defense and hammer anybody who speaks against God. You know, he's got that. He's got the Holy Spirit. He's got all kinds of ways. He's used a fish, a huge fish before. He's used all kinds of ways to draw people to himself, to get their attention. Our role is to speak the truth in love in a gentle and respectful way. No need to yell, get angry, or even try to convince or argue people through the gate. It won't happen. It must be the Holy Spirit who does that. Last week, Pastor Aaron, he talked about responding in a blessing to others, speaking ways in which we bless others. And he went through a number of references that said something like, a soft answer turns away wrath. That's what we are called to do. Jonathan Edwards, 
many, many years ago said this, the truly humble Christian is clothed with lowliness, mildness, meekness, gentleness of spirit and behavior. These things are just like garments to him. Christian humility has no such thing as roughness or contempt or fierceness or bitterness in its nature. In the world around us, this is not what discourse or dialogue looks like. The louder you can be, the stronger and more passionate that you can be, you will win your argument. It seems that is not what Peter is saying. Humility, gentleness, the truth. Let God get it done. Christ followers are marked by humility, gentleness, and respect. Christ followers are marked by humility, gentleness, and respect. This is countercultural. But people respect that. That's the beauty of it, you all. People respect that. And more and more in our world, these qualities stand out. When you see somebody in a crowd that is agitated and that person is calm, gentle, at rest, at peace, that person stands out. And it's attractive. That is godliness. The final point which is also number eight. Have the mind of Christ slash live for the will of God. This is in chapter four, verses one and two. Have the mind of Christ. We read in other places in scripture the same phrase, have the mind of Christ. When we talk about, or when the Bible talks about the mind of Christ, we're talking Christ's worldview. How did Jesus see the world? What was he all about? What was his frame of reference for doing the things that he did? He suffered in the flesh in a big way all the way to the end of his life. What was his thinking? What was his worldview? We've read these verses many times in Philippians 2. Have this mind, which is the mind of Christ, among you which is yours in Christ Jesus, you have the same mind in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself, the king of kings, the creator He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Hebrews 12, 2, looking to Jesus, the founder and the perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Jesus himself in the book of John said, for I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. Can you imagine every day if this were your statement? This morning I am getting up not to do my will, but to do the will of God the Father. That is my purpose in this day. That's what we're called to. This is how we prepare for persecution. 
This is how we prepare for a hostile world. That we get up in the morning and said, Lord, not my will, but yours be done in my life today. Show me what it is you would have me do this day. That was the mind of Christ. And we are being exhorted, have that same mindset, that same worldview. There is one mission. Jesus had one mission, and it was the Father's will, which was to bring, in verse 18 we read, to bring the unrighteous to God through his death, burial, and resurrection. His suffering, his death, his burial, and resurrection not the resurrection was part of the suffering. That was a glorious moment. But his death and the way he died was all part of the rescue mission, the obedience to the Father. It was a part of his mission. If you knew that the inconvenience that you have are facing, the hostility that you are facing... The persecution that you are facing is because God's using that to draw people to himself. Would it be worth it? I'm telling you, it would be worth it. It would be worth it. And if you're not there yet and you're going, I'm not so sure, that's okay. Keep seeking God in your life. He'll get you there. Because you will learn there is nothing better on this planet than God using your life for his glory. There is nothing better. And it is worth everything. It is worth your life. Because our lives are so short. They don't feel short. But there's a day coming we will know how short they really are. And we'll look back and go, Lord, thank you. Thank you for sustaining me in that. It was hard. But boy, Lord, now that I'm in your presence, oh my word, I wish I'd have done more. One mission. The Son of Man, he says, Jesus says, came to seek and to save the lost. That was his purpose. That was his mission. God is on that mission. And he's been on that mission from the very beginning. Many of you have taken the class Perspectives on the World Christian Movement. Perspectives, we call it. You've taken it, and if you haven't, you need to do it. Every believer should take it. It is that good. And by God's grace, we are going to do it next January. We're going to host Perspective Class here. Karen Swenson is our beautiful coordinator. She's stepped up. She's done the training. The missions board is mobilizing, and we're reaching out to other churches, and we're going to do this thing next January. It's a big commitment, January to May. But you will learn as we look back through all of history, from the beginning all the way back into biblical times, all the way to the present, what God has been doing, the movements that have been taking place on the planet, how God God has drawn nations, peoples, tribes, tongues to himself in all kinds of creative ways. Yeah, missionaries have gone out and we've gone out and we share Jesus with others, but God has done it in so many wild and crazy, amazing ways. And it's great. And we get to be a part of that. We get to be a part of that mission that he is on. And when we understand that we are on that mission, when suffering comes, inconvenience comes, hostility comes, it's like, Lord, help me through this. 
You use this for your glory. You use this to draw people to yourself. Help me to say the things you want me to say. Help me to have the attitude that you want me to have. Lord, I want to react to this and I want to spit back and I want to defend and I want to chew and I want to lob bombs and I want to chuck tomatoes and worse because my flesh wants to defend me. But by your spirit, Lord, fill me. Help me to be a blessing to those that would attack me. It's not my mission, though, and it's not your mission. This is God's mission, and he has called you and invited you to be a part of that mission. When we have a goal, a target, a mission, we drive toward that with everything that we've got, undeterred, unhindered, facing the adversity squarely on, beaten down at times, but we get back up. Matthew Henry said, the more you fear God, the less you fear men. There's an old saying that comes back from merry old England. Sticks and stones may break my bones, but words shall never hurt me. You guys, we use that as for kids. It ain't for kids. It's for all of us. Because even as adults, we can get easily offended by what others say. How dare they say that? Maybe even they bash the church. There's been some scuttlebutt about IBC and man, this and that and the other thing. You know what? We're made of humans. We'll make mistakes. But this is God's church. So if they want to diss this church, you're dissing what God is doing. And I don't have to go after them and tell them to shut up or this or that, how wrong they are. God's got it. In humility, when you have an opportunity, speak the truth in love. God's got it. He is on mission, and he has invited us to be a part of that. We go forth to live our lives for him, for his purposes, for his mission, in his power, in his strength, and he will do it for his glory. See, Jesus saw his suffering as part of the mission, as we said. And he may be inviting you to participate in that suffering. There are different passages that talk about that. In Philippians, Paul says that I may know him, the power of his resurrection, and may share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Next week, Pastor Aaron will be preaching the next section, and it says, Peter says, share in his suffering, keep on rejoicing. We're going to hear more about that. We're called to be a part of that because it's what God is doing. And so many times, he uses suffering to draw people to himself, as well as to build us, to grow us, and strengthen us. So in conclusion, as we wrap this up, do you have hope? Do you have hope? And do you have an answer for the hope that is in you? And be ready to give a reason for the hope that is in you now. And if you don't know how, work it out. Lord, what would I say? Help me know what I would say to those who would ask. And it is only through Christ that we can do any of this. By the power of the Holy Spirit, oh, by the power of the Holy Spirit, we don't give him enough credit because sometimes we, be, we are so horizontally focused. The Holy Spirit is at work and we don't see him. When we say you never know, because you never know because the Holy Spirit moves when he will and he will do things in your life and through your life that you have no idea. All you do is say, Lord, here I am. Romans 12, 1, I beseech you, brothers, by the mercies of God, present your bodies as a living sacrifice. Here I am, Lord, use me and he will use you. 
You may not always know it, but once in a while, he'll show you that. And you'll be amazed because it's the Holy Spirit that is doing it. It may not be logical, and many times it isn't, because it's God at work in you and through you. Acts 1.8, you will be my witnesses and the Holy Spirit will come upon you. You have the Holy Spirit's power. In the end of Matthew, the Great Commission, Jesus says, and I will be with you through the end of the age. We have the promise of the presence of Jesus in us as we go out and endure suffering, whatever with that, because we are on mission for God and he may be using suffering to draw people to himself. Someday somebody may say to you, I saw you endure that really hard thing and it meant a lot to me. And because of that, I came to Jesus. Jesus.